Well, good morning. Uh, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, and begin at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're blessed to be gathered this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to sing of the glorious truths of the salvation that you have provided not because of any merit that we have earned on our own, but because of the merit of Christ and his righteousness that has been applied to our account. It's nothing in our hands that we bring, but simply to your cross we cling. And so, Lord, it's with joyful hearts and thankful hearts that we gather this morning as people who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ and who are eager to become more like your Son. And we can't do this apart from the grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and apart from uh, the exposure to the Word and apart from uh, the, the fellow believers in our lives who exhort us to, to godliness as we see the day drawing near. So encourage us and build us up this morning. Passage we're going to consider this morning. There are a handful of passages uh, that touch on this uh, particular topic we're looking at this morning. And so we're going to consider a number of passages. So if you can just have that in mind that your hands will be exercised this morning, uh, then that will be, uh, be helpful. Um, and then the second thing I would say is uh, topics like this, uh, what we're going to cover this morning, they don't always seem immediately relevant. Um, and sometimes we, we, we approach the worship service and looking forward to the sermon and we're looking for immediate relevance uh, for this sermon for our lives, uh, you know, tomorrow and in this week. And it's not that this has no relevance, but there are some topics uh, that we are going to need later in our life and in, in, in the context of the local church. There are, con- there are topics we're going to need later, but if we wait till later to address them, then it's going to be too late. So some things we're, we're looking at and considering, and we're really uh, putting building blocks in place to have a proper foundation for things that we will encounter later on in the course of our Christian lives. The third thing I want to say, and this is, this is important for clarification this morning, is I'm going to talk a lot about the role of pastors in the church this morning. And when I talk about pastors and when we talk about their responsibility to lead, I want you to, to know that what I'm thinking is that the church is best served when there is a plurality of pastors. Um, so when I, we walk through our text, I'm not thinking of just 
one man at the helm, although that's the case in some contexts. I am thinking a plurality of pastors. Uh, the church is best served when it is led by a plurality of pastors. And so as, we, as I say that up front, I want you to be able to think about that as we go through the remainder of our text. Text, plural. Okay. So as we continue our series in church membership, um, we're answering this question. Uh, who runs the church? And we began this question last week, and we were now continuing really the second part of this, uh, this question. And, and when we, just to clarify, when we're talking about the church, uh, not to beat a dead horse here, but we're not talking about a building. We're talking about a group of believers who have covenanted together to live their lives according to all that the Scriptures uh, call the body of Christ to do. So who governs this group of people, or who leads this group of people, and how are decisions to be made among this group of people? And we noted last week that this is an important question. It's important because the Scriptures address this question uh, all throughout the, the New Testament. This is a, this is a prominent theme of, of leadership and authority and how, how things are to play out in the life of the church. And so if it's important enough for the Lord to include it, include it into His Word, it's important for you and for me to, to understand it as well. The second thing I want to say is why this is important is because much conflict comes from failing to understand this question biblically. So sometimes congregational government turns into congregational micromanagement. Sometimes pastoral leadership turns into pastoral dictatorships. And sometimes deacon service turns into deacons running the church. And all of these are misunderstandings of how the local church is to be run according to the Scripture. And so carefully answering this question helps us avoid a great deal of conflict in the life of the church. Thirdly, the reason why this is important is because when we think clearly about a well-ordered church, then it helps us keep our eyes on the mission of the church, and that is making and maturing disciples. So rather than constantly putting out fires and dealing with squabbles, the church is focused in what it should do, and we're able to accomplish the mission of, of, to which Christ has called us to do. So, so when we don't think clearly about how the church is organized, we end up being distracted at best, and divided at at worst. So who runs the church? Well, in answering this question, we gave this summary statement, that a local church should be congregationally governed, pastor-led, and deacon-served, with each group fulfilling its role with godliness and humility. Okay, let me just say that again, because this this is the statement, in essence, we're unpacking. A local church should be congregationally governed, pastor-led, and deacon-served, with each group fulfilling its role with godliness and humility. Now, last week, we started there, and we only made it to the first part of the statement, that the local church should be congregationally governed. And I raised two questions and one warning. Question one was, where do we see the congregation using its authority in the New Testament? And we said that the congregation uses its authority in defining its membership either bringing people into membership or removing them from membership in in discipline. Okay, so the congregation defines its membership. We secondly saw that the congregation uses its authority in guarding the gospel, right? In in, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul doesn't write to the elders and tell them if someone preaches another gospel, let them be a curse. He writes to the whole body of Christ and their responsibility to protect the truth. And one of the ways they do this is by exercising authority over who leads, 
So the church, thirdly, has its, its, it uses its authority in selecting its leaders and removing its leaders, and that's used primarily to, to guard the truth of the gospel. Now, we moved on to question two, and this is where we got a little more practical. We said when we tie these passages together, okay, the passage is about the congregation's authority, when we tie these passages together, what can we determine about the purpose of the church's authority? So why has God given the church its authority. And here's what we concluded, that the church's authority is given so that it will take responsibility for any decision in which the integrity of the church as a gospel witness is at stake. And we mentioned two scenarios. So scenario one, should the church go with white curtains or brown curtains? And scenario two, should we keep a man on our membership rolls who's living in open immorality? Well, in scenario one, the integrity of the church as a gospel witness is not at stake. I mean, who really cares? Well, some of you care. Some, most of us don't care about white curtains or brown curtains, okay? But in the scenario two, where uh, should we keep an individual on our membership who's living in open immorality, well, that's a matter that should appear before the congregation to weigh in and use its authority of excommunication because that impacts the church's ability to be a gospel witness. And so then we finish then with, with this warning. If the final human authority is, is the, in the life of the church rests in its members, then it's imperative that the church be extremely careful to guard the front door of membership and to use the back door of church discipline to maintain a pure congregation. So when considering this question, who runs the church, this is the first part of it. The congregation is the final human authority in the life of the church. But as we'll see this morning, it's not the only answer to our question of who runs the church. The Bible has more to say about, about how the local church should be run. And so we move on to our second point. Okay, really, just, this is just one sermon starting last week and continuing this week. So our second point, then, is that the local church should be pastor-led. And again, I'm talking about a plurality of pastors is, is best, okay? Should be pastor-led. And when considering this, we want to work in a similar way as we did last week. We want to ask two questions and give one warning. All right, and, and first we're going to unpack the scriptures or consider a lot of scriptures on this truth. But then we're going to move into, once we've considered the scriptures, we're going to need to talk about or try to, to flesh this out practically. All right, so if you'll bear with me through sort of the, the considering the, the number of passages, then we'll move into some of the implications that get into the nitty-gritty of how the relationship works uh, in the life of, of church and, and leading the church, okay? So let's begin with our first question. What does the Bible say about the authority of pastors? Okay, what does the Bible say about the authority of pastors? Okay, first of all, note this, that the titles given to pastors indicate a level of authority. Okay, so the titles that we find in Scripture for pastors in and of themselves indicate a level of authority. There are three titles used in the New Testament for pastors, and they are pastor, elder, and overseer. And I've directed your attention to First, uh, or first Peter 5 because each one of these terms appears in this passage, right? So verse 1, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Okay, so that's, that's the term that he uses here for, for pastors. In verse 2, he uses the term 
shepherd or pastor, we'll see that that's the same word, but he says, pastor the flock that is among you, and then he goes on to say, exercising oversight, or that's our word, overseer. So in the New Testament, these three words are used to describe the office of pastor, elder, pastor, and overseer. And it's common for some to draw a distinction between pastors and elders, because sometimes they'll draw a distinction between pastors are those who are paid to serve, and elders are those who are who are you know work a regular job but serve in the eldering capacity. But the New Testament makes no such distinction. Okay, each term is used interchangeably as it is here in First Peter five to describe the same individual. Every elder is a pastor, is an overseer, and the term simply highlights the different aspects of their, their ministry. But notice for our, our purpose this morning, these terms, they highlight the responsibility of these individuals to, to lead in the local congregation. So the term elder highlights leadership. It was probably rooted in the Old Testament and borrowed from the elders who, who served along Moses to lead the people of Israel. And it describes the experience and wisdom of of these individuals. And that's not to say that an elder has to be a certain age, right? Because Paul tells Timothy, you know, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in, in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. So it's not that they have to be a certain age, but they must be old enough to give evidence of wisdom and godliness. Okay, the, the second term that's used is the term overseer. And this also implies leadership in the local congregation. The word refers to the responsibility to have oversight or supervision that is necessary for the local church to function. And then the third term that's used implies leadership, and that's the term pastor. Or as it's used here in 1 Peter 5, it's the word shepherd. Okay? It's, the, it's the same exact Greek word, and, and we're just it's the, our translation translates it as as, as shepherd, we often call this, this term pastor. But the idea of shepherding and the shepherding role stresses this. It stresses protection, guidance, provision, warning, feeding, tending. And the church looks to its pastors to provide this kind of leadership and care in the life of the assembly. Okay, so that's first. The, the titles imply leadership, but, but next see that the descriptions of these positions indicate a level of leadership. So now let's do this. Let's walk through a number of passages, and I'll kind of do them in, in, um, in order as they're found in the scriptures so that we can see um, how these are, how these are, are demonstrated for us. So, so we'll go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so just be ready to, to turn and to turn quickly as we highlight each one of these passages. Okay, so just so you're clear with our outline, right? So the, the titles in and of themselves imply leadership. But now we look at when, we, when they, they start to unpack what pastors are to do uh, and where these words appear, they emphasize leadership as well, right? So begin in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is giving the qualifications of an overseer. But notice verses 4 and 5, what, what those verses say. An overseer must manage his own house well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, 
For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, and notice this phrase, how will he care, or we might say, how will he manage God's church? So the idea being communicated here is that overseers have the responsibility to care for or to manage the congregation, much like a father is responsible to lead and manage his home. Okay, turn over a couple pages to chapter 5. A couple pages to chapter 5 and verse 17. Okay, same, same context. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says this, Let the elders who rule well be concerted, considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Okay, now the word rule here is the same word for manage back in chapter 3 when he says has to manage his own house well. Okay? The responsibility is that pastors have the, the duty to, to manage and to rule in the affairs of the congregation. Okay, now skip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I said I was going to do them in order, but I think I just went backwards, didn't I? All right. I was just seeing if you're awake, you know, because uh, it's that time of morning. All right. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse, look at verse 12. So Paul's writing to the, to the congregation here, and he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Okay, so once again, what's being emphasized in this passage is the authority of those serving in a pastoral role. Now notice Paul says they're, they're over you in the Lord. It's not that they're, they have an authority that extends to all aspects of life. It's in this particular area of one's Christian walk that, that they bring themselves under the authority of, of pastoral leadership. And so the responsibility for pastors is to watch over those and to lead in this particular category. Okay, two more passages and then we'll finish there in, in 1 Peter. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Okay, don't, don't get tired of turning. Stay with me just for, just for, just for another couple minutes. Hebrews chapter 13, and start in verse 7. And the author of Hebrews says this. It says, remember your leaders. Now, we might be confused here, be like, okay, which leaders are they talking about? But then it clarifies those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Okay, so now what's the term that's used here? It's the term leader. Now skip down to verse 17, and you see this phrase, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Okay, again, they're referred to in, in a leadership role in this, uh, in this passage, right? So then the last passage, First Peter chapter 5, we'll, we'll land there where we started. First Peter chapter 5, and he says, So I exhort the elders among you, and he says, The shepherd, the flock of God, that is among you, exercising oversight. Okay, so here Peter, in this passage, he sets up a number of qualifications to protect against the abuse of leadership. He says that they shouldn't do this under compulsion, not for shameful gain, 
not domineering over those in your charge. But notice that the qualifications that Peter sets up, they don't rob the pastor from his responsibility to lead. Okay? Peter doesn't throw out the baby with the bathwater just because some have abused leadership, that, that leadership as a whole is bad. No, he goes on to say that they're the shepherd and they're to exercise oversight in the life of the congregation. Okay, now, I, I've taken you to these passages for a couple different reasons, two, two specifically. First, I want you to see that what, what I'm going to argue this morning from, from these passages and the principles of, of who runs the church is that these, pa- these principles are, are rooted in the Scriptures. Okay, there's not like an agenda here to... To, to sort of prop up pastoral authority when it's not really a biblical thing. But I want you to see that, that this is something the Scripture gives detailed attention to. So it might seem like overkill, but I want you to see that this is drawn from the truth of Scripture. The second thing I want to show you is that pastoral leadership and leadership in general is not a bad thing. In fact, it's intended to be a good thing. So in our day, we... We balk a bit at the concept of leadership. Maybe it's because of our American independent spirit that no one tells us what to do. Or maybe it's because you've experienced poor leadership, and so the thought of bringing yourself under leadership is a a tough thing to do. Or maybe it's the state of our political environment and some of the challenges we have with those in leadership position. But we tend to buck against this concept of leadership. No matter what kind of leadership it is, we don't like to be told what to do. But I want you to recognize that, that in God's providence, good leadership can bring a tremendous blessing to those under its care. So just think of a child raised in a home with a loving mother and father, and how set up for success and blessed that child is. Now, he may not always appreciate that authority and may not always be thankful to the Lord for it, but I think we who are wiser and more mature can step back and can look at how the authority in that home is a tremendous blessing to that child living under that authority. And the same principle, same principle applies to bosses, to governing officials, to husbands, to all those who are in leadership position. They have the ability to give life and, 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 and purpose to the people who serve and, 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 and are underneath that leadership. And the same is true of pastoral leadership, that this is God's intent. That God has established not, it not to be a burden, but a blessing to the people who are, who are under that leadership. That they would be built up, and that they would be encouraged, and that they would be shepherded by that leadership. Now, just like children, members don't always like the decisions that pastors make. I don't know that we always like the decisions that we, we make. But the authority is given... The authority given is intended to be a blessing for God's people. And so I, I, as we look at the passages, they're not, they're not just given just so that, well, somebody makes decisions, but they are intended to see the congregation be built up and encouraged um, by, by the leadership that God has established. Now, two more principles before we get into uh, the second question. So we've first seen that the titles assume a level of authority. The descriptions assume a level of authority. But then notice two other points about the leadership of pastors in the New Testament. The primary way in which pastors lead is through the ministry of the Word. 
Now, I won't make you turn to these passages, but I'll read them, okay, because you, you already have these. In fact, one of them we didn't read, but Titus 1.9, uh, Paul says, I left you in Crete so that you might appoint elders in every city. And then he gives the qualifications for elders. But notice he says here, he says that the elders must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. But at the center of his ministry is the use of the word to build up and to rebuke. You remember 1 Timothy 5.17, because we read this one, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. But then it goes on to say this, especially those who what? Labor in preaching and teaching. Now, the word is at the center of their ministry. And then Hebrews 13, verse 7, remember your leaders, and it goes on to describe them. Who are they? Well, those who spoke to you the word of God. So it's not that pastors have this inherent authority just based on their position, but, but their, their authority rests in their ability to argue and to lead from, from the Scriptures. So there's a sense in which, uh, as pastors do their job, their responsibility is to stand up and say, here's what the Scriptures say, so here's the direction we must go. But it's not, you don't switch that order or remove the first part of that statement. It's not just, here's where we should go. It's, it's, it's let's unpack the Scriptures, because that's where our authority rests, and then let's, let's pursue this particular direction. So the Word is the, the primary way in which the pastor leads. Then lastly, just say this before we get to our second question. A pastor's leadership cannot be separated from his character. Okay, a pastor's leadership cannot be separated from his character. And this truth is made clear just like every passage involving pastoral leadership. Right? An overseer must be above reproach, blameless, Paul says to Timothy. To Titus, he says the same thing. Peter says, don't do this. Um, don't, don't, don't be um, authoritative in your nature, but shepherd the congregation. I mean, just about every passage relating to authority deals with this issue of character. So if a pastor's life doesn't meet the character qualifications to serve, then he is not fit to serve in that capacity. No matter how outwardly successful the ministry appears to be going. His character is of utmost importance and cannot be separated from his calling to the work. So a pastor who's not above reproach is merely posing as a pastor. Okay, so now we've understood what the New Testament says about pastoral leadership, at least in part. Let's consider our second question. Question number two, how does congregational authority relate to pastoral authority? Okay, well, now we start to get like a little more practical and a little more like uh, dealing with, the, um, dealing with the, the nitty-gritty details of this, right? So because last week we saw that the congregation, the final authority in the congregation rests in its, in its members. And then this week we see that there's authority that rests in the, in the pastors that lead in the congregation. So the question is, well, how does this flesh itself out practically? And that's the $10,000 question, all right? I'm going to give my, my best attempt to, to, to make this clear this morning, but I want you to know I'm still growing and learning in this particular area. area. So, so hopefully this is helpful for us and even just setting up principles we think about moving forward in the life of our congregation. Okay, so how do the two relate together? How does the rule of the congregation relate to the leadership of its pastors? 
So let's make four observations about this relationship. Okay, four observations about this relationship. Observation number one, a pastor's leadership is entrusted to him. Okay, a pastor's leadership is, is entrusted to him. Okay, now there's, there's two aspects of this. Number one, it's entrusted to him by the Lord. And number two, it's entrusted to him by the congregation. But let's talk about the first one first. It's entrusted to him by the Lord. There's a, a phrase in Scripture that I think is so easy to overlook. And yet, if you, and if you overlook it, then you can be on dangerous ground. But if you park on it, there is a world of wisdom and truth found in it. And it's this verse, and, and you don't have to turn there, but it's Titus 1.7. And just listen to this. It says this. As he's getting into the qualifications for, for pastoral ministry, he says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And, and when we read that verse, our first inclination is to go, okay, he's got to be above reproach. Because we quickly pass over that phrase right in the middle. For an overseer, and then it says this, as God's steward is to be above reproach. And if we jump over that as God's steward, then we miss something that is incredibly significant for leadership in the local church. The church does not belong to the pastor. It is, first and foremost, God's church. This is what he said in Acts 20 when we read in our scripture reading when he says, you know, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the, to the, to the flock over which the Lord has, has given you oversight, the church of God. And then he says this, that he purchased with his own blood. The church belongs to God. It is the bride of Christ. So God has entrusted the care of local churches into the care of, of faithful pastors as they lead and, and watch over the flock. But their authority is not inherent in them. It's entrusted to them by the Lord. And the role to steward is so important that Hebrews thirteen seventeen tells us that they will give an account before God for how they did in shepherding the flock. Okay, so God takes this very seriously. It's, it's simply something he has entrusted to pastors, but it does not belong to them. Okay, so it's, their leadership is entrusted first by God, but then secondly by the congregation. Okay, so, so from this perspective, authority that a pastor has is delegated to him by the members of, of the church. The church as a whole has the final say for what takes place in the life of the assembly, but they are delegating and entrusting a good deal of what takes place in the life of the church to their pastors. And in, in entrusting the church uh, to, the, to the pastors, the congregation is essentially saying, listen, we recognize that we have the final say, that we have the final authority, and by our authority, we are, we are calling you to lead us and feed us and shepherd us and care for us as God would have you. So pastors, they lead, but in their leadership, they answer both to God and to the congregation for how they lead. Okay, so as we're talking about this relationship between pastoral leadership and congregational rule, okay, 
this is the first observation, that their leadership is, is, is a trust. It's entrusted to them to steward faithfully. Observation number two. Observation number two. How does this relationship work? Well, on the part of the congregation, this relationship is one of submission and trust. Submission and trust. Okay, two passages make this point very clear. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, which we already read. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and to admonish you and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So, so the congregation is called to, to recognize, to respect, to, to esteem those who serve in this capacity because of the, the type of work that they do. The second thing that passage is helpful here is Hebrews 13, 7, which says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Okay, so you see this relationship is one of, one of submission and one of trust. So in entrusting leadership to pastors, the congregation willingly brings themselves under the care of pastors to, to entrust them to lead. Now, Mark Dever has a helpful description of, of four categories of, of decisions that, that end up being made in the life of the congregation. So as anytime you're in a leadership position, you're always in a position to be making decisions. And this particular, these particular categories are really helpful for me in like thinking through how the life of the body works. So as pastors, we're regularly making decisions and those decisions can fit in any one of four categories. Now, this might seem complicated at first, but just listen to the last category, and that'll be the important one, okay? But sometimes we're making decisions that are both clear and they are important, okay? So should we recommend for our membership someone who does not understand the gospel? Well, that's a really important issue because we can't bring unbelievers into our membership. But it's pretty clear, we shouldn't do it. So we're making decisions that are clear and important. At other times, we're making decisions that they're not clear, but they're also not important. So should the curtains be white or brown? Well, that's not clear, but it's also not important. And so decisions like that get made. There's a third category of decisions that are clear, but they're unimportant. So I had a hard time finding an example for this one, so this is the example I'll give. So should we cancel services when we've had two feet of snow on Saturday night? Well, it's kind of clear. Uh, it's hard to get here. The driveway's not plowed. Um, but it's also not that important of a decision, okay? No one's going to hang us for a particular decision made on a, on a, on a snowstorm, okay? So it's clear, but it's, it's unimportant. But then there's this last category, this last category of decision-making, and I hate to say that so many decisions in the life of ministry are made in this category. Decisions that are unclear, but they're also important. Okay, they're, they're unclear, but they are important. And it's this last category where leadership usually rises and falls. How well do they do at making decisions that, that are important and have implications for the, for the body of Christ, and yet they're not clear, and they're often complex. Well, Dever is helpful when he says that the congregation is best served 
when they submit to their leadership in these kinds of decisions that are unclear but important. So when we say that the relationship is one of submission, and especially this word, trust, there's a sense in which when you delegate your authority to pastors, that you are having to trust them to lead you well. And you're not just trusting them, but you're also trusting the Lord and the way he has ordained things to, for, for things to, to work well. But, but trust is, is, is so important between the life of a congregation and the ministry of its pastors. Because there are lots of situations that we deal with where the leadership, on the leadership level, we may know more specific details and factors about a particular situation. And those details aren't appropriate to share to the entire life of the congregation, and yet the congregation is involved and invested and, and wants to know how these decisions are being made. And there are situations where it comes down to the fact that the church has to trust the leadership uh, that it has appointed. And in those situations, if the congregation can trust and submit to the leadership, then the church is well-served and the leaders are well-served in those, in those difficult situations. So the observation number two, on the part of the congregation, this is a relationship of submission and trust. But there's a flip side of this, and it's observation number three. On the part of pastors, this relationship must be one of love and care. And I think this is Peter's point. Right? He says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. But then he's really careful to say, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And not for shameful gain. You're not looking to make a, a profit to do this, but, but eagerly. And, and not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. What Peter's saying is, what Dr. Ola used to say, don't shoot the sheep, all right? Or don't run over the sheep. But, but when we think about the relationship between leaders and those under leadership, there's always a tendency for leadership to be abused and, and misused for personal advantage or for, for running over the, the sheep to, 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 to see something accomplished. So if the congregation is, is entrusting its leaders, then their leaders also need to be trustworthy and able to be have, able to put confidence in. So to go back a, a few, a few uh, weeks ago, we talked about the, this, this point, that pastors can sometimes become so enamored with their vision for the church and the direction they think the church needs to go that they end up ostracizing a large majority of the congregation in pursuit of a particular vision. So for them, what's the, what the church is, is it's just the vision and whoever's on board, well, then they're part of the church. But whoever's opposed to it, then they're again, you know, they're, 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 they just get run over. They're no longer part of the, the congregation. So it's imperative that pastors lead with, with tenderness and with care and with love for this relationship to work well. I think that's why the Apostle Paul spends so much time on the character of those serving because of the nature of this relationship. Now, lastly we see observation number four. For this relationship to work, we have to distinguish between two types of authority. The authority of command 
and the authority of counsel. Okay, so let me let me tease these tease these principles out. Okay, if you have authority, you have the right to make commands, and those under you are morally obligated to obey those commands with certain limits, of of course. Okay. But we want to distinguish this morning between the authority of command and the authority of counsel. And the difference is, someone who has the authority of command also possesses the power to enforce the commands that they, that they give. And somebody with the authority of counsel has authority, but they don't possess the authority to, to enforce those commands that they give. Okay, so let's give some examples. Uh, governing officials, or maybe we'll say parents of young children, they possess the authority to make commands, and they also possess the authority to see those commands carried out. So for parents of young children, they have the means of, of disciplining their children to enforce the commands that they give. Police officers have the ability to write citations for those who will not obey their commands. I'm sure some of us have been on the receiving end of uh, some of uh, some of those. In fact, we even in our membership have one who was on the receiving end and one on the giving end uh, of uh, of that relationship. But I won't go into that situation. You can ask me about it later, and I'll point you in that direction. Potentially not looking left. All right. So then, uh, now I've just killed my illustration. All right. So courts have the authority to give out sentences. Okay. These are all examples of the authority of command. You possess the authority and the ability to, to see that authority accomplished. But the authority of counsel is different. And that's where someone has the authority, but they don't have the God-given authority to, to enforce those commands. So think about a husband. He has leadership in the home, but if his wife won't follow, he doesn't have the authority to enforce the commands that he gives. So it becomes imperative then for him to lead with love and persuasion and tenderness and care and character in order for that leadership to be effective. Or the parent of an older child doesn't have the authority to, to enforce that command, and so they must, they must persuade their child as they use their authority. Now, in the church, both of these kinds of authority exist. The authority of the the members, they have the authority of command. They have the authority not only to to, to make decisions, but to enforce those decisions. So they can add and remove members. They can add and remove people in the... uh, They can add and remove leaders. They have the authority of command. But pastors, on the other hand, they have authority, but they don't have the authority to see that those commands play out or to see those commands carried out. So it's important for pastors to lead by persuading with the truth of the word, with character, with love, and with trustworthiness. They don't possess the power to remove members. They might lead in the process of removal, but it's the congregation's authority. Okay, so distinguishing them between these two, these two levels of authority. The congregation has the ultimate authority. They have the authority of command. They not only have the authority, but they have the ability to enforce their authority through, through discipline and excommunication. Pastors also have the responsibility to lead, and they have authority, 
But they have no power in and of themselves to, to see these things carried out. So they must be persuasive and minister the word and lead with character so that what they say is convincing and people want to follow in those categories. So how does this help us think about the relationship between the congregation's authority and the pastor's authority? Well, pastors have the authority and the ability to lead by example. But there's a type of authority that they have not been given. And that is the authority to make decisions that affect the church's integrity as a gospel witness. So the pastors have authority, but it stops at a certain point where the congregation's authority picks up when it comes to matters where it affects the church's gospel witness. So matters of defining membership and protecting the gospel and choosing leadership. And, and some of these other decisions we talked about last week of, of maybe in a particular setting of should the church buy a vehicle or should they not buy a vehicle and how much does it impact their ability and their integrity as a, as a gospel witness. So as we think about these two categories, pastors are given authority, but their authority stops at a certain point when it starts to affect the church's integrity as a gospel witness. Those matters should be put in the hands of the life of the congregation. Now, let's move on to our final point here, and that's, that's a warning. So we've seen one question. We've seen the second question. Now we come to the final warning. And that is that character is of the utmost importance. Okay, so here's how we finished last week. We said that if the congregation is the supreme authority then it is of the utmost importance that the church be careful about its membership. Because the church is only able to weigh in on matters of their, of their, with their authority as, as healthy as they are. Okay? If we're a church made up of believers and unbelievers and the church is responsible to weigh in on the authority, it's not going to be a good situation. But as we protect the membership through, through adding and through discipline, as we protect the membership, then the church will make healthy decisions. Well, in the same sense, on a pastoral level, their leadership is only as good as their character is godly. That's why I've said it's, it's imperative for these groups to be godly and humble in the way they use their leadership. So if the congregation is going to be able to trust their leaders to lead, and if they're going to be able to follow, then it must be because they must, the leaders must be trustworthy and godly individuals. So in a day and age where churches today prioritize administrative skills and dynamic personalities, we must be a church that, that prioritizes what the Word says. That the most important thing is the character of the individual, and is he able to minister God's Word? Now, by God's grace, we're not selecting any pastors right now, but those days come. We've had them in a number of times just in the last couple of years but we need to continue to follow the authority of the Scriptures, not look at things from, a, from, a, from the world's perspective or a corporate, a corporate perspective, but to make sure that the Scriptures are our authority. Because this relationship between congregations and pastors is so important, so precious, and can go wrong so easily. It's imperative that we follow the Scriptures in all that they say in these particular matters. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're grateful for the truth of your word, and my hope and prayer is that what I've said this morning is helpful and, and clear. You bless us with uh, 
such a wonderful church and wonderful members who want to serve you and want to submit to your word. And Lord, through the years, you bless us with such good pastoral teams of, of men who love you and want to serve you. And the relationship between congregation and pastors has been so precious. But at any time, things can go awry. The relationship between leaders and followers is, is oftentimes so fragile. And where it becomes so fragile is when we, when we stop following the truth. When personal agenda starts to arise, when when pride and selfishness start to be at the, at the core of decision-making. So, Father, we would ask for your protection, that we'd be a healthy congregation that protects its membership and healthy leaders who seek your face and follow you in all things. So protect us, Lord, we pray, and help us to continue to, to be healthy and to be able to be a shining light in this community of making.